There are 574 tribal nations represented across the United States. They each have their own cultural richness, way of living, and customs. They also have health disparities and trouble with the acquisition of resources. Tribal Health, the podcast, wants to shed light on them and bring solutions available to improve access for tribal and indigenous communities. And now, your host, Mario Trujillo. Hey everyone, welcome back to Tribal Health, the podcast. It's me, Mario. I'm super excited about our guest today. It feels like she has been all over the world, really, um, and making a difference in every single pocket that she goes. Uh, we have Divya here. Hey, Divya, how's it going? Hey, it's good. It's nice to meet you, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, oh my gosh, thank you for joining. I'm going to just pass it on to you. Tell us about yourself. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I was real excited to get invited for this. My name is Divya Nagpal. I am a public health professional. I have a bachelor's degrees in community health and English from the University of Illinois, as well as a master's of public health from the University of Michigan. I have spent the last 10 years consulting for a myriad of agencies and organizations, federal, private, you know, all kinds, healthcare systems, hospitals, small clinics, all over the world. Um, and one of the best experiences I've ever had was working in a tribal community, which I did last year. And I was managing both COVID response and opioid response for a, tri a small tribe in South Dakota. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. We're um, in a couple of facilities in the Great Plains. But yeah, it's a unique area of work. And I feel like it, it connects to a different part of the heart and passion than, than a lot of areas within healthcare. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it really was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life to work in a tribal community and being able to kind of see everything go right from the community level up to the, you know, healthcare level, which is something you rarely get in, in other systems, because typically you're kind of removed from the community or you're only in the community. So you don't get to see both sides, but working in a tribal community, because the health centers are so closely affiliated with the community, you get to see the whole realm of how everything works in a whole cycle, which is very powerful and rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. I bet. How did you get involved with working in a tribal community? So it's sort of a kind of random story, I guess. About 12 years ago, I cycled across the United States and I actually cycled through South Dakota. And I'd always been very, very curious about working with indigenous populations, both in the United States and all over the world. And so, you know, it had been a long time and I had worked internationally for several years, but I came back to the U.S. in 2019. And then when the pandemic hit, I was working on COVID directly. But in the back of my mind, I'd always been thinking, hey, I would love to work in an indigenous community to understand more about indigenous people, how health works for them, what we can do to support indigenous communities more. And so I kept seeing postings on uh, CDC Foundation's website, which is who I eventually went to work for. And several of them were in South Dakota. And I'd always been curious about doing more work in South Dakota because I had really loved my time there. And so I applied and then I ended up there. <laughs> oh my gosh. So kind of just chance or seeing yes. it. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. That's great. So, I mean, your your background is heavily in, in public health and just the operational side of the healthcare system. And in your bio, I read, well, I mean, you just 
take a step back and you see COVID. What did you do with COVID specifically? I mean, it looks like you were pretty much all over the place and it will take a lot of organization and a very steady mind, <laughs> I, I feel like, to do all of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, I never thought I was going to end up in infectious diseases. I was primarily involved in like chronic diseases. Uh, my mother is a primary care physician. She's retired now. Um, but I spent much of my life growing up around her at her uh, at her clinic and largely dealing with chronic conditions. So I never in my life thought I was going to end up in infectious disease. But of course, as the pandemic hit and as a trained public health professional, I wanted to be there to support, you know, to support the world and in uh, reducing cases because I knew how bad it could be if we didn't uh, do enough to support communities. So I ended up starting first as a as a contact tracer at a local college in, in my hometown. Um, and that's where I got a lot of my experience and training in doing contact tracing and case management. But the position I had with the tribe was initially it started as testing and contact tracing and case management, but then it transitioned to just overall being a tribal public health advisor. So in terms of COVID work for the tribe, I initially was managing our testing team and also trying to ensure that we were reducing transmission within our facility, our IHS facility that we were working in, because, you know, people are coming in sick all the time and some people have severe deficiencies that make it very hard for them if they get a disease like COVID. So we wanted to make sure that we were keeping the facility safe. So we were trying to figure out good ways to test people that reduce transmission or exposure inside the facility. So we figured that out and we were working with testing people who would drive up outside. We would run out, test them. We would have all of our protective equipment on to ensure we didn't get it, which none of us did from any of our patients. And then once they were okayed, we would largely do faster tests like antigen tests or nucleic acids, the amplification tests, because those we could get back very quickly. And then that way we could let people go on to their appointments if they, if they were okay. So we would run those quickly. And then, of course, I would go out and then give them the full information of what to do if they were positive or they were still experiencing symptoms, how we could help them and support them. We would provide them with the basic med pack that offered them a few things to help them feel better. And then also just gave them advice on what to do. If they were eligible for our monoclonal antibodies, we would get them um, services for that, either the oral one or if they needed injectables, we would provide the injectable one for them at the time when we were still using those. And then, yeah, that was largely it. And then I would also do a lot of the outbreak investigation because everything would transmit extremely quickly from one person to the next within the community because there are so many intergenerational households as well as everybody is very close-knit in the communities, which is a wonderful thing. But unfortunately, that often leads to things passing quickly. So working with the tribal businesses and there's also a tribal school in the area as well. We would work to make sure that we figured out how it was getting transmitted and quickly identifying anybody who was exposed and getting them to get tested or clear away from people if possible to ensure we reduced transmission. So that was largely what I was focused on in COVID for the tribal community. Wow. You organized and logistically ran so much. That is a lot to, I mean, create because, I mean... For us during COVID here at Tribal Health, we had critical care response teams, right? So we we had ICU education and COVID care education, and we would deploy our teams out to different facilities, different tribal nations. And a lot of the facilities weren't well equipped yet. And they 
didn't know how to take care of uh, a patient. And it's just the way that the facilities were set up. Most of them are just ERs. So, I mean, this brought in such a challenge and then a new way of looking at medicine. Did you see a shift at the facility that you worked at? Because, I mean, there, of course, had to be a lot of growing pains. But what was the shift in at the facility? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say, you know, I came in when they had already been uh, dealing with COVID for a year and I came in as a surge support staff. So, you know, they needed extra assistance and they were trying to get back towards providing more regular care. Um, And it was an ambulatory care clinic. So, you know, they had a lot of outpatient services and very limited ER capacity. And we actually had a hospital within the community, very small one that people would go to for ER care, which really helped. So, I was really tasked with just trying to help offload a lot of the COVID care from other people in the facility so that they could do their regular work, like working on diabetes and nutrition and opioid response, or just being able to treat patients who had not been able to come in for so long because of COVID. So there was definitely a transition on that level as I as I came into work. And then, you know, I was lucky that a lot of the system, at least the initial testing part had been built up. But we ran into so many problems as we would go throughout it where we would learn new things. And I also helped to equip the facility with more. For instance, we had a huge issue early on. The South Dakota is not the easiest place to drive, especially in the winter. If you looked at the news this year, it is it was a rough winter, a really rough winter. Luckily, last year was nowhere near as bad. But as the second I got in, I started in like mid-September. I was just like, what are we going to do to pick up vaccines when like it's, you know, dead of winter and there's ice everywhere? How are we going to do this? And they were going every like couple weeks to a month to pick up vaccines. They had like a hub and spokes model. So they would go to another uh, tribe, which was the Cheyenne River tribe over in Eagle Butte. And they would go over and pick that up. And it was five and a half hours each way. They would have to take two nurses and that's two nurses out, you know, for that entire period of over a day, which totally really affected the rest of the system. So I was like, no, we can't be doing this. We have to get ultra cold storage. And so our director of nursing, she came to me, she's like, can you please help us get, you know, ultra cold storage? And I was like, yes, I'm going to do everything in my power. So eventually we were finally able to find some funding. We applied we got approval and we bought immediately bought uh, cold storage, which just was like life changing because then, you know, even if they had to go, they could go and pick it up for like several months at a time and then they wouldn't have to go as often. So they could manage to go like early winter and then go way after winter potentially. But ultimately what ended up happening is at least Pfizer, who was previously not allowing uh, people to order smaller quantities, which really affects smaller tribes, they switched their policy to allowing us to order smaller quantities as well. So then nobody had to go anywhere, which is amazing. But also because we had the cold storage, we didn't have to worry about those vaccines going bad. So that was definitely a huge shift that just like really transitioned and helped everybody's like stress levels go down. Unfortunately, that happened right in the midst of the like huge outbreak of Omicron cases. So it kind of happened more towards the end where we were able to actually get them when the cases are starting to die down. So we really had to struggle to manage during that time period. So that's definitely some of the transition I saw. And then we kept seeing tests changing, not working learning new things as Omicron came about, like this isn't working on day two, maybe we need to do day four, you know, and figuring all of those things out as we went. It was definitely a mix. 
But I'm very fortunate because the facility I worked for, I worked for the Flandreau-Santee Sioux Tribe, which is in eastern South Dakota near Pipestone in Minnesota, very close to the border of Minnesota, about 25 minutes, and in the center of, of South Dakota, uh, center, I, I guess, center between north and south. And so I was very fortunate that it was an excellent facility where our CEO was fantastic at getting as much increased support for the community, increased access to equipment. So I was very, very fortunate that we were already having a lot of that, but then worked also to help get whatever else we were still missing that would help to reduce the burden that was there on a lot of the providers who were unable to do what they needed to do. That time was so crazy for all of us. It blows my mind that you had to drive all the way to Eagle View to restock. You know, I mean, props to you for your going all in. Um, that time was a time of learning for all of us in the healthcare system, especially in indigenous facilities, right? Now, are you still working closely with tribal facilities or what are you up to now? Yeah, I don't anymore because my contract was, uh, it was like a year COVID specific contract. Okay. Actually, it was eight months that I got extended twice, but it was because of COVID funding that they were able to. Of course, I would love and in a heartbeat go back to working for tribal communities. It was definitely one of the best experiences of my life. But, you know, it was a funding thing. And that's the reality in many tribes, right? Everything is related to the amount of funding you have. If you can hire people, great. But if you don't, you have to survive, like you said, on whatever you've got, which is very, very difficult for tribes, obviously. So I'm not anymore. Continue to stay engaged with people I worked with in the community, continue to keep in touch with people. I went back to the powwow this year. I Anytime I can go and spend time with tribal people, I will in a heartbeat. And I would love to get back into it. But right now I'm back into the international realm of work. But even in the international realm, I've previously worked with indigenous populations in Myanmar. I worked for the UN for a couple of years in Burma, uh, Myanmar, and there I was working with indigenous populations. For them, given the state of affairs in Burma, I try to support them uh, as much as I can. I mean, I have more liberty to do that, not as an employee, but just as like a person who wants to support my friends and former colleagues in whatever ways I can for their community. So in that sense, I keep engaged to some degree with tribal work, but it's very different than American indigenous work, I guess you could say. Tribal communities around the world, they're vastly different, right? I was just, it was a couple months ago, it was, I forget what I was reading, what tribe in South America, but they were preparing to go to the UN meeting and speak about climate change, specifically in the Amazon rainforest. And I was reading their culture and I mean, it's so beautiful and in touch with the forest, you know, and I'm personally from New Mexico and we're connected with the desert and flowing water you know, but each indigenous community has something special and a passion that is their center. Um, and that's what I found working with indigenous people, communities around the country, and then even outside of the U.S. It's really cool to see their passion and then it become kind of an interest and then a passion of yours, you know, and I'm sure that happened to you working in the tribal facility that you did in covid COVID hit Indigenous communities very hard, but the communities around here in Arizona and New Mexico, I saw come together um, in supporting them um, and supporting the elders, especially um, during that time. So I think it, it brought a lot of families together. 
Absolutely. And I think that's one of the best things about indigenous communities is because they're so close knit, people look out for each other, you know. And so in some ways you see amazing work, even more amazing than would happen in like, you know, non-indigenous communities because people are so focused on supporting their community, because there are only a limited number of people who are indigenous that are there. You know, they can't Losing every single life loss that's indigenous is a huge loss to the community, you know, depending on the size of the tribe, but just in general to tribal communities. So people are very, very good about supporting each other. And I think that's just like a wonderful thing that's like infectious to everybody else, as you said, where you build that passion, too, of like, I should really look at the world more from this perspective, too. I should look at how not only am I affecting the land around me and environment around me, but also the people around me and how they affect me as well. And kind of consider, be more considerate of how we're functioning as a society. And that's definitely one of the things I really picked up about Indigenous communities and really, really love to see and understand. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. What advice would you have for our medical staff. So we we get locum tenens providers, we get nurses, we get specialty docs, um, MAs, every clinical staff that you could imagine. And we we send them to tribal facilities around the nation. What advice would you give to a new clinician with us that's going to a community in a rural area they have no clue what to expect? I think the biggest thing is always to listen first and speak later, always. You know, we don't know anything. I didn't know anything going into the tribal community. You can say like, oh, I read this thing in a book once, but like, that's not the same as actually knowing how people live, what their lives are like, what they value, what they treasure, you know, what beliefs they will not be able to compromise on and which ones they can. There are very different things like that. And I think we often go in there into other communities thinking, oh, I'm here to like save the world, but we're not, you know, we're here to help them accomplish their goals, not to come in and set goals for them, but to go in and help them accomplish what they see as necessary for their community. And the only way you can do that is listen first and speak later. And I think you have to listen without judgment too. Yes, do some things maybe sound odd to the rest of us? Sure, but I'm Indian American. And ironically, I went to a a Sundance over uh, in South Dakota And like so many of the traditions were exactly the same as traditions in my community. And I had no idea. And so we've built this whole system or or understanding through racism and institutionalized racism and beliefs, prejudice about indigenous people, that they're a certain way and that's acceptable or that's not acceptable. But that's just not true. There are so many facets of indigenous culture that are very similar to facets in Eastern Asian culture, Southeast Asian culture, South Asian culture. And for some reason, they're accepted by us and for us, but then they're not accepted for indigenous people and people are looked down on, which is just completely unacceptable. So I think the biggest thing is to walk in with humility and realize that you really are the person who knows the least in the room. And so you have to go in there and think, okay, let me listen to this person, maybe ask questions. I used to ask so many questions. I'm sure I annoyed people, but I would be like, can you explain why why this is like this? Or why do people follow this path or do this? And then they would explain. And that's how I learned so much. And then I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, like learning why people continue to grow their hair or, you know, why they choose to cut it at certain times when they do cut it. Like, 
you know, I was just like, oh, this makes so much more sense. And it's just we have all these perceptions of what we've been taught, which is just totally wrong. And the best thing you can do is have conversations with people, ask the questions, ask them in as respectful of a way as you can be willing to accept if they're unwilling to talk about it or they're not ready to talk about it. Totally fair. And just kind of be there to listen and learn first and then offer support in ways that you can. Wow. All of that was perfectly said. And I mean, you have to approach, I mean, in anything, in anything that we do, I feel you need to listen first and talk later, you know, and learn. And everything we do, we need to approach the person on what do they need? How can I care for them? I mean, in any relationship, in any friendship, I mean, even with my mother, you know, how can I best care for her in front of me now? And that's how our our clinicians and we're, I mean, we have the best clinicians in my very humble opinion. We have the best <laughs> clinicians, but they approach the work not as work. They approach it as care and the person in front of them. And I mean, what you said was perfect. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, it's obvious that you're doing good work. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? I know that this isn't a long time, but I mean, you have so much to offer the world and I just want to soak it in selfishly and then also for the people listening. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just, I would just say like, I'm just so grateful for the many weird and strange opportunities I've had in my life. I'm somebody who just kind of applies to things and goes as, as they come. So I move a lot. So, you know, I was in Burma for two years and I came back to Chicago for a couple of years, was working on COVID. Then I moved to South Dakota for a year. Now I came to Atlanta and I work as like for a federal contracting agency and I travel a lot to the Middle East. You know, like my world is just crazy. <laughs> it's just all over the place. But, you know, every every experience I've had, every community I've worked in has had such a tremendous impact on my life, of my understanding of the world, of reducing my own ignorance, of helping me understand how to communicate with people better, how to respect people who have completely different uh, beliefs as mine, how to hear their beliefs and be okay with them, even if I totally disagree with them. And it's given me a lot of perspective on issues we face in this country just as a world. And I think the biggest thing I see is that we are just so bad at talking to each other. You know, we're just like talking at each other constantly. Like, you're wrong because you believe this and you're wrong because you believe this. And it's like, but, you know, we can't help what people believe. People believe what they're going to believe. And there's many values in in different belief systems that we just kind of ignore because we're like, everybody has to think the way that I think. But I found that just in living life the way I have, I've learned the most from people who have the polar opposite opinion of mine, you know? And if I sit and I listen and, you know, I take the time to absorb the best traits that each of these communities has to offer, I'm a much better person for it. And so I would encourage people that as hard as it is to expose yourself to new things and things that you're particularly nervous about, um, I would strongly recommend anybody, anybody who's listening, you know, anybody who's a clinician that's interested in working in indigenous communities, you know, go out there and really take the time to learn and understand other people's ways of life. Because a lot of times it's not that one way is right or wrong. It's just that they're different. And that's totally OK. Absolutely. We have to embrace the uniqueness of life, right? Yep. Thank you so much for sharing. That was beautiful. I'm excited to see what your next adventure is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I've been learning Turkish for like three years. I'm sincerely hoping that I can go work in Turkey. So we'll see what happens. Oh, my God. <laughs>
gosh. Well, so. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so you much well. for joining. You as well. Yeah, and thank you to all the Indigenous communities and people. Thank you for welcoming me into your communities. Thank you for the amazing work that you do. Thank you for the unbelievable traditional wisdom that you all have, traditional medicine, wonderful things that your communities have to offer. I hope that all of you value them as much as I do because your communities are awesome. Absolutely agree. And thank you so much for everyone joining and listening. I will see you next time on Tribal Health, the podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For the show notes, resources, and more, please visit podcast.tribalhealth.com. If you want to learn more about how Tribal Health can be a solution to health disparities, please visit us at www.tribalhealth.com.